Welcome to Activate Your Life. I am your host, Erin Esser, and I believe that life isn't a battleground. It's a playground of possibility where self-sabotage is transmuted into self-mastery. On this show, I share tools such as human design, astrology, inner child, and shadow work that help you disrupt your unconscious programming so that you can begin to experience the life that you desire. Don't forget to like, share, and hit the subscribe button to receive valuable information each week that will change your life. Thank you for joining me and welcome to the show. Welcome to the Activate Your Life show. And today I'm really excited to have Rose Clark on the show today. And she is a parenting coach and her mission in this lifetime is to make motherhood more enjoyable for moms and childhood more enjoyable for children. When Rosemary was newly married in her 30s, she found herself on a therapist's couch after burning out at work. It was there that she learned that she had had a highly abusive childhood. Her need to push herself so hard was rooted in trying to earn something that seemed out of reach her whole life, feeling her parents' love. I think a lot of us can probably tune into that a bit, trying to push ourselves so hard so to, to try to earn something. But during her time in therapy, she became pregnant with her first child. And when she became a mom, it magnified her insecurities and started triggering unshed tears and unexpressed anger. She felt that she had two choices fall into the abyss of repeating what her parents did or learn completely new ways of relating. Rose will forever be grateful that she stumbled upon language of listening. It's a parenting model that not only allowed her to become the mom she always wanted to be, but also allowed her to reparent herself. Now, as an authorized language of listening coach, she specializes in helping moms who have had difficult childhoods and gets them to the place where they love the way that they parent. Wow. That's amazing. I love your mission in life. I mean, truly, you know, allowing motherhood to be more enjoyable and children to love their childhood. I don't see anything that truly is much higher than that because, you know, if we can really do that in this lifetime, imagine this world, what this world could be and what this world could look like. So I would just like you to Rose to just share how did you get to this place? I mean, I know a little bit was said, you know, as far as being on your therapist couch and really kind of having these things come up for you, but would you mind just sharing kind of how you got to this place in your life and what that was like coming to the awareness that, you know, what your childhood wasn't maybe what you thought it was until, until you realized that it was, it was that it was what it was. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, I think, you know, you can see from, you know, the wording of that, that uh, introduction that you read there that, you know, a lot of that I was blaming myself and I was really trying to push myself. Like I thought there was really, really something wrong with me. And when my therapist said to me, you know, Rose, your mother has borderline personality disorder, which is basically the female version of narcissism. Um, mm-hmm. And I went, Oh, Oh, so it wasn't me. <laughs> like, it wasn't that I was like, like going to always be thought a flawed, you know, like it was, it was that my mom had this illness and and, and in a way it wasn't even really her, you know, it was this illness. And so the blame, you know, it started to put a crack in that, that massive blame that I had kind of experienced on myself, you know, that I'd put on myself and that my parents really put on me, unfortunately, you know, um, for, uh, for my whole life. And, um, you know, I remember being a child and being in school and watching the videos they would show about child abuse, you know, to kind of let kids know, like, you know, if these things are happening to you, you're being abused. And and the the part that, you know, I can still remember, I can still kind of close my eyes and see is, is this picture of, uh, you know, an adult or a video of an adult putting a cigarette butt out on a child's arm. 
And I thought, mm-hmm. oh, well, nobody ever does anything like that to me. My parents don't even smoke, like, you know, so I must not be, you know, that yeah. was kind of my, <laughs> that was kind of my child brain thinking. Yeah. Uh, and so when my therapist is like, no, that you were, you had a bit highly abusive childhood. If your parents were doing today, you know, what they did to you, then they would be in jail. Wow. Um, you know, and, uh, and she said it was severe physical, mental and emotional abuse. And so just hearing that, that was just really the beginning of a whole new experience of life. Wow. You know, borderline personality disorder, that's, you know, it's one that I've actually been hearing a lot more of lately. And I think that it's, I would like to hear what you have to say about this, but I think it's really running rampant in our society, but, um, but I don't feel like we really understand it completely. And I don't know how you feel about that, but like, how have you come to understand this? Like, what was your experience like with the borderline? Like how, how would you be able to tell? So say somebody's watching this and like, okay, well, yeah, like my parents, I wasn't physically like abused or maybe I was a little bit or whatever, but it was more emotional abuse. But how, how do you know to put that it it in that box? Like what are the characteristics of that? Yeah. Well, you know, borderline personality, it's a, it's, it's a spectrum disorder. So it can be, you know, it can be severe or it can be mild. Um, And, you know, not being, um, not being a professional myself, I, I kind of, you know, I'm wary to really put it out there. But what I would say is just to have this understanding of this disorder is that life and the world is an extremely, extremely scary place for anybody that has borderline personality. Mm, And um, especially as a a daughter with a mother who had it, you know, my dad also had a personality disorder, unfortunately. So I had two parents with personality disorders, but um, there's a lot of control involved. And there's a lot of really, you know, this demand to give up your identity to suit to suit okay. the, um, the other person, to suit the parent, um, because they feel safe when they can control you. And they also feel loved when you allow them to control you. And that's very confusing for a child sure. um, to have to set aside, you know, your own, your, your identity yourself, you know, and to mold yourself to be like your parent, to protect yourself. Um, and for me, it was, you know, to feel like literally I was going to survive, you know, as, as a child with parents, we understand that our parents, you know, from mm-hmm. a very young age that, that we need their love and acceptance in order to survive. It's really just a part of, you know, this, yeah. the, even our animal brain, like we're hardwired, yeah. you know, to have to have this closeness. And so Absolutely. when that, when that closeness is used as a, um, a bargaining tool, yeah. uh, when it becomes yeah. a currency, you know, that, you know, you can have love and acceptance when you do everything I say, when you, when you have the same feelings I have, when you, when you have the same opinions I have, when, when you allow me to control, you know, pretty yeah. much every move that you make, you know, then you can, then you can feel like you're going to live, live, like you're going to survive. And so that's, you know, and, yeah. and again, it's a very difficult disorder to have when somebody has it, you know, the world is, you can't even really explain how utterly scary the world is. And so, yeah you know, they are just trying to create safety for themselves. It's just very unfortunate that their relationships get involved in that in such a heavy way. Right. So I can imagine too, um, you know, if you have to give up your identity, right. For love, you know, and like you said, as a child, you know, um, the child does that, right. Because you said it's a, it's a survival mechanism and we do anything to survive. And then though, when we take that and we don't understand what we're doing, because it's normal to us on some level, right? When those things happen, it's normal. So we go through our adult years in this and and let me know if this is, you know, accurate. It's like the please love me dance, right? For our partners, maybe our friends, because that's how we knew to give love is we would just surrender ourselves, right? You surrendered yourself to this, you know, to, to, to receive love. And that's, that's the pattern that you learned. And so did you find yourself doing that as well? Like throughout your adult years until you understood what was happening? 
A hundred percent. You know, like I always say that my boundaries, I always presented them as questions. Mm. Here's my boundary. If that's okay with you, you know, is that okay with you? And if it wasn't okay with them, then they could have whatever they wanted, basically, you know, like just so that I could, um, you know, feel like I was going to survive, right. Be a, be a part of the tribe, have relationships. And so, um, definitely, you know, I would say that that's probably the most painful part, like the physical abuse that, that sucked, (laughs) but really it was that giving up of my identity and just really not knowing who I was. Like I got to a point in my life where I'm like, I don't really know what my opinions are. I don't really know how I feel about different situations. How do I ever get in touch with that again? Because I know what my parents would say, and I know what other authorities would say. And I, you know, I'm very good at following them, but I want to know who I am now. I want to live my own life for me. I don't want to live my life for somebody else. Wow. That's powerful. I mean, right there, just, just the realization, right. And I think a lot of people listening to this too can understand on some level of the externalizing, you know, this externalization of this authority outside of ourselves and assuming it's our own, you know, and then getting this point of like, I mean, I remember I had a point too in my life where I remember looking in the mirror at myself and I had just left my marriage of like two decades and all, and I didn't know who I, I was like, who am I? And I remember not even recognizing the person, you know, looking back at myself. I remember just looking at her, like, who are you? Like what? It was just, it was almost very surreal. It was almost like I was out of my body in a way. And I, and I think in so long I was because I didn't know this body. I didn't know who I was. I didn't know what I felt. And to be in that space was uh, a dangerous place to be in a way. I didn't look at it as that, but because it was never safe to be there because I had to attach myself to, to other people's identities as well too, to felt like I, to feel like I would belong, to feel like, you know, I mattered or that I could somehow be important, you know, and feel good and feel important and feel safe in life. So Yeah. 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 And I mean, I think that so many people's experience, especially those of us that were raised, you know, in the decades that we would have been raised in Aaron, right? Like, you know, that this whole idea of reward and punishment and using the relationship as currency, um, you know, again, all parents are just doing the very best that they can with the tools that they have, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and so again, not to, not to be blaming people or shaming people, but just mm-hmm. to say there is a different way to relate with human beings, you know, and to relate with, with children. And, yeah. um, but when we felt like we had to earn our love or, or behave in a certain way to feel loved and accepted, to feel like we're going to survive, yeah. you know, that becomes many people's reality for sure. Yeah. Well, so Okay, I kind of want to just fast forward here for a moment, because, you know, one of the things too, that you had said, um, was that, you know, you're pregnant with your first child and how that experience of, of, you know, your first child really brought up all of your insecurities. And, you know, and I found that too, I have three kids and my kids have been, I mean, three of the best healers that I've had. I didn't realize that at the time, you know, when they were really little, but, um, you know, as I started on my journey, what they would pull out of me was like, oh, this is where I need to work on as well, too. And I would love to, you know, hear kind of what what that was like for you. And just the awareness of that, too, you know, the awareness of like, oh, wow, like, these are my own insecurities that are coming up um, with my child versus punishing the child, right from there's a difference, right? Of kind of going internal and going, wow, why am I feeling like this versus punishing the child because we're feeling like this? Does that make sense? 
Yeah, 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 for sure. So I, I think I would just back up a little bit um, to before mm -hmm. I even got married. And, um, you know, feeling like I didn't have a connection to my identity, but there were bits and pieces, you know, there were bits and pieces there. And so if I look back now, I can start to see them. And one of the things that language of listening taught me was to look for times in my life where there were, there was a no plan B, you know, that I really set my heart and my mind to something. And one of those things was um, the kind of man I married, you know, I was very, very careful. It was like, I think, you know, I think really my highest value when I was in my twenties was just to make sure that my children didn't have the kind of childhood that I had, you know? Yeah. And um, so I really had my heart and my mindset on, on, you know, a very specific kind of man to marry. And then also, um, and then also I had in my mind, you know, I had it worked out. This is what kind of a mom I wanted, to, I want to be like, this is what I want my children's experience to be, which, and it makes total sense when you, when you realize, you know, when you look at, okay, she was raised by narcissists and then this is what her, what her desire was, but I wanted my kids to have um, their own thoughts and feelings and opinions. I yeah. wanted to nurture those things in them. And I also wanted them to have a close uh, emotional contact or attachment with their, with their parents. And so I expressed this to my, to my then fiance, to my, to my now husband. But when, when we were engaged, you know, I said, okay, Steve, this is, this is what kind of a, you know, this is what kind of parents I want to be for our kids. Are you on board with that? And he was a hundred percent on board with that, but um, you know, which I'm so thankful for, but also just the fact that like, I was careful. I was really, cause my parents did end up splitting up when I was in my teens and seeing the, you know, the difficulty that that caused. And again, people are doing the best they can. Right. But I just, I saw the pain in, in myself and in my siblings when that happened, I'm like, okay, like I just, I marriage and family, it needs to be, you know, something that's really solid um, in my life. And then also for my children. Yeah. And so that kind of no plan B, you know, that's where my identity was maintained in my life. That was that, that those were two things that I just could not let go of. Like, you know, that, that were really a part of the real me. Yeah. And so, yes, when I got pregnant with my first child, um, you know, the unshed tears, the anger, or that that constant like feeling never good enough which is what landed me of course on the therapist's mm -hmm. couch working all these overtime hours and she was just like why do you why are you pushing yourself so hard like why are you working so many hours and what popped out of my mouth was just it surprised me and I just well I'm just trying to prove that I'm worth the space I take up in the world wow. you know and then and I was wow. like you know that was kind of like there the truth popped out and I it wasn't a conscious thought I had before but thankfully you know from her questioning that's that's where we started mm -hmm. and um you know, things were okay with, with one child, uh, you know, they were, they were okay. I did, I did develop hypothyroidism at the beginning of my pregnancy, almost lost my baby. And, um, you know, if you start to study into autoimmune disease, which hypothyroidism often is, you know, we, we can look at the ACEs study, the adverse childhood experiences study and see that most autoimmune disease is rooted in childhood trauma. So, mm -hmm. um, but I think what was really hard for me was when I had my second child and I had two babies, like, um, I had two under two and then, you know, not too long into that, the yelling started. And I just found that I am not being this mom who is allowing her children to have these separate experiences of life. And I'm, and I'm raging and I'm angry. And like, where is that coming from? And I'm like, where is this, this thought that I had that I want to be this mom, this yeah. kind of like, this not happening, you know? And so I'm like, okay, well, I thought the idea was enough and it's not. And I went to my husband, I said, I need tools. I need tools to be the kind of mom I want to be. I don't even know if these tools exist, but I started looking for them. Mm -hmm. And that's when I stumbled on language. And I, I found the website and I just thought, oh my gosh, I think this is it. Like, I, I think yeah. this is, you know, I think this is the, the tools I was looking for. And, and, you know, like I started using the tools and they, they're really, they're so respectful of the child and so respectful of the parent. They really allow you to hold firm boundaries because you can't really parent without firm boundaries. You just right. can't. And of course, being a child of narcissists, I needed, I needed to learn how to yeah. hold boundaries, have healthy boundaries in my life, you know? And so being able to hold firm boundaries, but in a way that allows you and your child to feel more connected. 
and in a way that makes uh, allows both you and your child to feel empowered. Like yeah. that wasn't a part of my life. It was like either or. Either the parent was the in control, powerful one, or yeah. the child was, and the child was never allowed to, in my experience, you know. And a, a yes. child doesn't feel safe in either. In an either or paradigm, like when it's either the parent and child or the ch- is in charge or the child is in charge, both ways are very scary for the child. So just having this space where like, you're really affirming who the child is, you're affirming their strengths, uh, you're turning them into a problem solver, helping them find ways to meet their needs, yeah. really supporting them to meet their needs, but within the parent's boundaries, you know? And, um, and yeah, and then I found out that, um, you know, the founder, Sandra Blackard, she was starting a a coaches training. It's a two years program Mm -hmm. and I applied for it and I was accepted. And the thing that started that, that really shocked me was that as we got along in the program, you know, I was learning how to use these tools as a mom and using them with my kids. And then all of a sudden the program shifted to use these tools with yourself. Uh, you know, and it's just three simple tools and you can use them with your kids, but you also use them with yourself. The the model itself is based on play therapy, positive psychology and transformative coaching. And so it's these coaching tools that you can use with yourself that allow you to be connected to yourself, to get centered with yourself, to really, you know, be connected to your identity, make decisions from, you know, a place of value um, and from your values, but you also raise up your kids in a way that they automatically have that, 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 you know, that yeah. motion that can be put into motion that, you know, normal, that normal space of growth that we all need to and, and want to go through is. Well, you know, you just said the, the key right there too, is, um, you know, I, I coach um, parents, you know, as well, and have had to heal my own, you know, make peace with my past as well. Um, in order to be the parent that I really wanted to become as well too. And, you know, it's a journey, right? I mean, it's every day, it's a journey, and I'm learning new things about myself all the time and other things, you know, and it's a it's it's a journey of, for me, being very humble and being um, understanding that it's like, whoa, like, okay, I just because I'm a parent, right, does not mean that I am all powerful and that I have full control over other human beings. Mm-hmm. They are a human being and they deserve honor and they deserve respect and they have a voice. And that voice is different than mine. And what can I learn from my child that I maybe don't know and haven't seen in myself yet? Because they're just reflecting back to me what's going on. You got it. You got <laughs> so, it. Yeah. So, you know, but you just said the the key earlier, you know, when um, using these tools on yourself and, you know, I used to work in a behavioral health facility when my two, it's funny you say you had two children under two, because I have two, my two oldest are 11 and a half months apart. And so... (laughs) It was intense. I was like, I don't know what I'm doing, you know, and it was was a crazy time of of my life. However, uh, you know, we got through it and, you know, whatnot, but I was working at a behavioral health facility at that time or or shortly after that time, just, just part-time. And I was um, in the adolescent and children ward and it broke my heart because, you know, parents would bring in their children thinking that they were the problem or the issue. And, and I was really, you know, in the beginning, when I saw this, I thought, Oh my gosh, like my kids were little. Right. And I thought, I don't want my kids to end up like this. Like what is, what is happening here? Cause I, I mean, there was so much, like just so much dis- dysfunction, you know, within these children. Um, but then I would see the families come in and they would come in for family therapy. And I thought, Oh, this, this makes sense now. Cause it's the family, actually, it's the parents, it's the caregivers, it's the, you know, whoever was the primary caregivers of these children that, um, there was the major dysfunction. And of course the child's just the product of that, you know, they learn in their environment. Right. And so, 
So I, I could never understand though, why is, why are they focused on the child when it's the parents and the caregivers that really need to heal? And so then the, the child will go back into the environment after, you know, sometimes a few days, sometimes a few weeks, and generally they would come back in, you know, a few months later, six months later, a year later, they would come back in and, and I just never understood. I'm like, yes, they're going to come back in because you're putting them back into a toxic environment where there's no change happening. So they're going to go right back. They're going to learn these skills in this place and bring them back into a toxic environment where it's not, it, it's, you can't do, you know, you, it's like, you just, you just doesn't work, you know, it doesn't work like that. I was trying to think of an analogy, but I couldn't think of one like fast enough, but, but, um, but yeah, it's, it's really about, like you're saying, it's making peace and, and coming home to ourselves as adults and healing those fragmented parts of ourselves. And one of the other things I've realized too, and I would love to hear what, what your thoughts are on this. One thing I noticed just kind of organically in my parenting is that whatever ages my kids were that I was having the hardest time with, I'd start to go, what was happening in my life when I was eight? You know, when I was 14, I remember having an issue with my daughter. Um, she's 16 now and she was about 14. I think just before she was 14. And I was like, I, I had a hard time like with her. And I was like, I, I love her. And like, we had always had this like really great, you know, bond. And I was like, I'm really having a hard time with her right now. Like what is going on? And I started to think back. I'm like, what was going on in my life? You know, around that age, I was never given the freedom to be able to express myself the way I've given to my daughter. So my own 14 year old self, 13, 14 year old self was, was ticked off you know, <laughs> at, at my daughter yeah. because I didn't have that. And that part of myself hadn't healed and really like, you know, given, you know, I hadn't really brought her back in. She was still this fragmented part of myself. So when I could talk to her and realize that and acknowledge that and just have compassion for her and understanding of like, oh yes, it had to have been so hard. And then, but it was causing a division between my daughter and I though at the time. And, and thank goodness. I mean, I had this awareness and, you know, around it, but, you know, then I was able to go in and talk with my daughter about this later on and say, you know, this is one thing I realized about myself. Like, this isn't you, like, I love that you're able to express yourself and there's still boundaries like you were saying too. Right. But they could be done in love and they can be done from a place of values versus you do this or you're punished kind of thing. A power over dynamic is never nurturing, right? To a child or a parent. So um, so have you found that too in your parenting or even healing yourself as far as the ages? I, I find that that's a huge thing, uh, a piece of awareness to bring into parenting is like the times that you have the hardest the struggles with your children at those ages, there's probably a part of you that has not healed yet. Would you say that that's true? Absolutely. Yeah. That's something that we talked about, you know, a fair amount in our coaches training as well, for sure that there's this, you know, like we always keep our challenges in front of us. The challenges are always there. So even, you know, when you have a a, a baby and you're responding in a very intense way to the baby crying, you know, it could be coming from so many places, but if you really stop and you look at it, um, you know, for one, as moms, we just have this animal brain that goes, oh my gosh, my baby's crying, right? And it's like probably threatening to put us into fight or flight if it isn't just because it's a a normal natural response for us to protect our children. But it can go so much deeper than that and and cause a much stronger reaction when, you know, when we learned as children, like for example, let's say that that emotions were not okay in your home or especially not crying or sadness, right? That your, that your parents really clamped down on, on that. Then there's a message in your animal brain right alongside the protecting of your child that it's actually really, it's not safe to cry. 
It's life-threatening to cry. And so then you might have an even stronger reaction to your child just crying because subconsciously you want to protect them from that life-threatening situation that's going to come because they're crying, right? And so everything in you is telling you like, stop the crying, stop the crying, right? And so you're having this massive emotional reaction Mm. when what, again, like you said, you need to go back to your to yourself as a child, because if you, if, if nobody handled your crying yeah. if, and you couldn't at a very young age, then you don't have the mental pathways. They're just not there. They just don't exist. Right. Wow. And so you need to build those new mental pathways to how can you reparent yourself and handle that crying and know it's safe to cry. Mm-hmm. And then it becomes safe for your child to cry, whether they're one month or one year or 10 years or however old they are. Right. Yeah. And especially, yes, if something happened at a, a very specific age, um, you know, like for me, I, I'm, you know, I can kind of pinpoint around the age that my youngest is now, um, is really when I feel like my fight or flight got stuck in the on position as a child that it just okay. kind of, there was just this steady, this steady drip of, of, um, you know, stress hormones, um, as a result of living in fear for as long as I did and, and yeah. people not, not acknowledging my fear, just telling me that I had nothing to be afraid of when there were very scary things happening, you know, mm-hmm. and not trusting my, my own fear response or my own fear warning system. And so, um, you know, just kind of seeing that and, and, and paying attention to, um, yeah. my daughter who does have a little bit of a school anxiety, um, and has some fear and she has, since she started school, she's got some fear around mom dying when mm-hmm. she's not there. And see, that's actually, that's actually one of my biggest fears is that I felt like I never had a mom and I never want my, ex- my kids to experience mm-hmm. that. And so, you know, like I've had some, I've had some pains and different things. And, and then I, I was worried. I was like, oh my gosh, you know, it must, it's probably going to be cancer. I'm going to die. My, my kids are going to lose their mother, you know? And I didn't express these to my daughter, but somehow they pick these things up. And then of course I go in for testing and they're like, oh, we found a spot on your lung. You might have lung cancer and oh, you might have endometrial cancer, but not, none of those things have anything to do with the pain in your side. So we still have to test for that. And here I was going through all these, like having panic attacks and this worst thing that I think that could happen is my, yes. my daughter's not having a mother because I didn't have one, you know, there it is all getting played out. And thank goodness I had language of listening to rely on. And I, I, I do not have any cancer in my body. Thank goodness. You know, Yay. like the spot in my lung disappeared and, and they said, okay, no, you don't have endometrial cancer as they did further testing, things like that. So, but just to see that big fear coming up and then seeing my daughter having anxiety of not like when she's at school for six hours and she doesn't see me well for kids, what's happening right now is what's happening always, Ugh. you know? So for her, she felt like, she felt like, you know, she would never see me again because she wasn't yeah. seeing her for six hours. And the only way her little brain could, yeah. you know, describe that to herself was that her mom was dying. So. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. I mean, the, your youngest is at, how old is she? How old is she? She's seven. She's seven. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Wow. I mean, that's, it's amazing though, you know, to, like you're saying to our fears too, and how they can start to manifest right in the physical and how our children too are, oh my gosh. I mean, they're so in tune, you know, to that and they understand more than what I feel way more probably, and even on deeper levels than what we can, especially at that age too, right? Because they're still in this neuroplasticity, like everything is, you know, coming in and where she's so open to, to, um, to just the world around her in, in such beautiful ways. Right. But it makes yeah. a very vulnerable state as well too. Mm-hmm. So it's a very sacred, those are, I, I feel those are very sacred ages, right. That we, if we, as parents, 
understood that if I would have understood that, you know, and my, cause my parents, my kids are now 16, 15 and 11. If I would have understood that too, when they were like in those ages of like, Oh, you know, okay. It would have just been a game changer, but it's amazing though, too, that it doesn't matter. Like for, I mean, anybody listening to, if you have a 20 year old or a 15 year old, it's never too late to shift. It's never too late to change. It just takes, you know, I feel like, you know, it's just the awareness of like, Oh wow. Like I need to heal. Like you know, our past and, and heal our mother wound, our father wound, you know, like we were saying before and reparent, you know, ourself. And so I would like to ask you, like, how did you start to do that for yourself when you realize like, wow, I can use these tools for myself. Like, what did you start? What was the first thing, I guess, that you knew that you had to do for yourself that you hadn't done before, like the self-care or like, how did you start to implement those things for yourself? Yeah. Yeah. Again, it was all part of the program. And this is the way I start off with the moms I work with now. Mm-hmm. Um, and I didn't realize, you know, what Sandy was doing at the time when she was taking us through the training. But now, of course, I see it so clearly. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, as I was able to, we really peel off the layers, don't we, as we're, as we're healing and as we're oh, you know, yeah. getting to a deeper, you know, expression of who we are. And so, you know, here was this challenge that came up for me where I was like, I don't even know what my opinions are. I don't really know, you know, how I feel about things. How do I determine that? And the first thing that she, you know, she started us off with, again, this is where I start, you know, the moms I work with too, is please sit down and make a list of all of the things that you can think of that you like Mm. and all of the things that you can think of that you don't. Because your preferences, your likes and your dislikes actually make up your identity, your unique list of likes Mm. and dislikes, they make up who you are and they're actually your boundary. And so it's just, such a simple thing just to make that list, you know, and my list started with, I love red licorice because you can use love and hate too. You know, I love red licorice. And, um, and then I went to, I I like red wine. And that made me think about spending time with my husband. I love my husband, you know, and I was able to come up with this list. And it's really interesting as you, as you write your list. And I tell people, try to get 20 to 50 items on each list, you know, notice is it easier for you to list your likes or is is it easier for you to list your dislikes? See the way that your list kind of weaves through your life. Yeah. You know, um, what, what kind of, gets you connected with different pieces of your, your likes and your dislikes. Um, but like, it's just, it's such a powerful thing because it really does. It makes up your identity. And then, and then you can start to understand that your values come from that place. And it just creates this whole piece where you like, you're, you start to get connected and, and what, you know, what we get people to do through this, this program, this language of listening is we start saying, okay, so now as you go throughout your day, as you go throughout your day, when you react to something, you stop and you note what it was and you note to yourself whether you liked it. Mm. So like you dropped a glass on the floor and it broke. You didn't like that. Yeah. You know, your husband surprised you and brought home dinner. You love that, you know, and just start to make your likes and your dislikes the most important thing, the main thing that your brain mm. picks up on. So I talk about recalibrating your radar system yes. because my yeah. radar system was set to know everything that my mom liked and didn't like. Yeah. To avoid punishment. And I brought that into my marriage. Language of listening has been fantastic for my marriage to break apart codependency, enmeshment, yeah. all that stuff. Yes. My husband came home from work one day and he had this specific look on his face, especially his, his mouth, the way that he was holding his lips. And he was just upset about something that happened at work. But because I was so tuned into my mother's facial expressions, and I always made her facial expressions when they were negative about myself, because when I did that, that gave me extra information to have extreme self-control to avoid punishment. So he comes home from work. He's upset about something that happened at work. His lips just do that thing that my mom's lips did. And all of a sudden I'm like, making it about me. And I'm starting to get in a little tiff with him. Uh, But because of my awareness with language of listening, I started to realize like, because when I can have my own likes and dislikes, everybody else can have theirs too. 
and it's yes. just who they are. It doesn't mean anything about us. Right. And so yeah. there he was. And I'm like, oh, he just didn't like that thing. It has nothing to do with me. And I was able to heal and have this whole like new mental pathway system laid out of like other people's facial expressions are about them. Yeah. And my husband would never hurt me. I was, again, I was very careful about the person that I married, right? Like he would never, he would never hurt me. He would ne- not physically, not mentally, emotionally, you know, all those things. Yeah. The very, very safe person. And so I was able to just go, okay, that's about him and something he doesn't like. It's nothing to do with me. And I can just listen to him and support him and validate. You hate that that happened, mm. you know, validate his identity yeah. and then, but be safe where I am and not be going into fight or flight or not, you know, and fight or flight, you know, many times we go into fight where we're like, I got to protect myself from the situation, you know, but I don't need to protect myself from him, you know? And so just being able to break that apart and just saying like, I don't like that facial expression, but it's not for me, you know, or whatever. And just recognize, you know, that that's the way that my radar system was set. And so to change it, to stop having, you know, my radar system so focused on what my mom liked and didn't like, or like what my dad liked or didn't like. Right. Um, And getting focused on my own instead. Yes. Yes. Then decision-making starts to become so much easier. I'm connected to who I am, you know, and I just start living from a place where I'm like, Oh, like for me, like the, the one big, we, we work on life rules and language of listening. And so the one big life rule, the first one that I really uncovered was what a relationship is to me and what a relationship is, um, is that I'm seen and accepted and that the other person allows me to see and accept them as well. Mm. And that's a real relationship to me. And so then I was like, okay, so now my decision-making when it comes to what relationships are healthy for me, what relationships do I yes. want to put my time and energy into? Well, they're the ones where the other person is seeing it, accepting me and allowing me to see and accept them. Those are the relationships. And so I'm just like, so easy to make a decision about relationships yeah. instead of like, well, what do they want? And, uh, you know, am I right? Am I wrong? Like what's going on here? It's like, no, just do I like it or do I not like it? And trust that space, right? Like, that's what I hear you saying. It's like, we try to make things so difficult. And I think we're in that when that we're in that place of confusion, when we're still looking so much from on a, you know, on the other person and making it about us, we're in this like never ending place of confusion. And then we're looking for signs and signals from the other person or the situation to go, well, should I stay or should I go? Oh, well, they're in a good mood today. So, okay, I guess I'm happy now today. Oh, they're in a bad mood. Uh Oh, now I'm afraid. So rather than going, they can be like, you're saying they can be whoever they want. And it doesn't mean anything about me. And then I can still have my space and be who I am. Even if they're in a bad mood, I don't have to now walk on eggshells around this person. Right. Because of that, because, you know, with any narcissist, it's all about them. Right. And so you have to do the dance. I mean, you have to, like you're saying, it's a safety thing. And so getting out of that fight or flight mode and into you and how beautiful and amazing, I'm sure that it, well, I mean, I know I've had to do this for myself as well, too, in many areas, even emotions, like, how do I feel right now? You know, coming back to me, you know, I was just on on a session with a client earlier today. And it was like, just, you know, encouraging just doing those regular check-ins when we wake up in the morning, closing our eyes, how do I feel right now? Oh, okay. Even going through our body, right? Oh, do I feel my middle finger? You know, do I feel my left knee? Just feeling and coming back in in our body and being present with ourselves and, and being like, you're okay. You're okay. It's okay. Everything is okay. And so it's powerful and it's so simple, right? It sounds so simple, but it's so hard to do when we're so, when we've raised and we were in this trauma space. So we can't see outside of that until we do, right? We only know what we know and we don't know what we don't know. And so until we start to see outside of that, that lens of that trauma lens, you know, and, and just 
to the, to this place of like, wow, like things can be completely different. Things can be, you know, more balanced and more healthy. It doesn't have to be an either or an either or is really a trauma response, right? It is, it's a, it's a response to trauma. Yeah. Yeah. And I think the other piece that's really, really important in there that goes right along with your likes and dislikes is that you are always right Mm. about how you feel and what you think. Mm. You are always right. And you're always right to like what you like and to dislike what you dislike. Those things are always right. Right. So we get into this, like, is it okay for me to like this? Is it okay that I don't like this person doing this thing that involves me? Like, yes, you are always right about what you like about what you don't like, about what you think, about what you feel, those things you, you, when you're making yourself right, you know, yeah. and anytime you're ever doing anything, you're just meeting your needs anyways. And that's the other big piece is like, you know, when we're so concerned about what other people like, and just like, we're always like trying to support them and help them meet their needs and make sure their needs are met. And there's not that space for us to meet our own needs. Yes. There's that enmeshment showing up. Right. And so when they can just have their own space and we can just say, okay, this is what they're doing. They're meeting their needs and I can allow them to meet their needs over there, you know, And, I, and then I can have space and time and energy for me to meet my needs. And that's okay. That's good. Yeah. So what would you say to someone who say they find themselves in this situation where they're like, oh my gosh, I'm, I'm here. I'm starting to see it, starting to see this patterns, you know, in their own life. You know, I guess for, for me, I find that it was critical to have a support system, people in my life that could reflect back to me, like who I actually, what the truth of who I was versus what, you know, all my limitations and where I could be better and all of these things. So what would you say if there's someone that's listening, you know, or, or any one of the, you know, the women that you work with that maybe their friends really aren't, you know, the best social network, and maybe they're in a relationship, an intimate relationship that isn't the most supportive or, or it's actually maybe even toxic in some level, emotionally toxic. Maybe it's not physically, but emotionally, you know, in that space, what would you say to them um, could be their first step, um, you know, I guess in, cause I, I get that a lot from my, my clients too. It's like, how do they get people in their life? You know, they're like, how do I have people in my life, friends that are really aligned to me and, and whatnot. And so what would you say to people, I guess, in that situation? Yeah, I think, you know, it really comes back to your heart does have the, your yeah. heart really, really has the answers. And so when you can get yourself to a place of self-trust, yeah you know, and really trust you become that problem solver, you know, and again, this is how the model works. So whether you're dealing with your kids or whether you're dealing with yourself, you know, the first step is acceptance. Yeah. Just, this is the way things are. I am right about how I feel, mm-hmm. you know, uncovering what you want. And when it's okay for you to feel how you feel, yeah. when it's okay for you to like what you like and dislike what you, you know, that acceptance is there. You know, one of the premises of language of listening is that all growth comes through acceptance. And so when that acceptance comes there, you get to the place where you understand that you're not the problem. So many times we make ourselves the problem, yes. right? And I always say that people can't be problems. They can only have problems. So when we're stuck trying to solve the problem of ourselves because we're experiencing a quote unquote negative emotion, you know, or, or, you know, we're feeling like we're not acceptable and that other people are going to reject us, right? When we're there trying to solve the problem of ourselves, we're stuck trying to solve a problem that doesn't exist and our tires spin. Uh, but when we can accept ourselves and yeah. then... Once we know that we're not the problem, then our, our eyes can open up and our mind can open up to see what the real problem is mm-hmm. and to be okay with what we want. And then we can work towards it because we're, we're pretty genius. Human beings are pretty genius. And even as children, right? I mean, all those survival mechanisms that we have left over from childhood, that was genius. Me being able to like know the minuscule movements of my mother's lips, yes, and her facial expressions to know, to protect myself, to change my behavior so that I wouldn't get hit or whatever, you know, like that, that's genius. Human beings are genius, right? 
Yeah. All the time protecting our identity and, or hopefully, you know, that's a place of survival protecting our identity, but hopefully getting to a point of thriving where we're coming to a fuller expression of, of who we are. So how do you accept yourself though? That's, that's the, really the key. How do I get to that point of acceptance? That's the first premise of language of listening. So, or so that's the first tool of language of listening, which goes along with the premise. So the premise, when we say it about kids is everything children do and say is communication yeah. and they must continue to communicate until they are heard. And so I change the words just a little bit to apply it to the moms that I'm working with when they're going to use the tool with themselves. Everything you do and say is communication yeah. and your heart must continue to communicate until it's heard. And what is it communicating about? It's communicating about your deepest needs and it's communicating about getting that full expression of who you are into the world because the world needs you. Yeah. The world needs you and you need yourself. You are the most important person in your life. Mm. And once you get this stuff for yourself, it's so easy for you to give it to your kids. And it, But once you've got it for you, you've got it for everybody. So you've got it for yourself. You've got it for the people around you. You've got it for your kids, all that stuff. So how do you get to that point of self-acceptance? Again, you use the first tool of language of listening, simply called say what you see. And this is where you reflect back to when we use it with kids, we reflect back to them, what we see them saying, doing, thinking, mm. or feeling without any judgments attached, no extra thoughts. So Sandy says in through the eyes and out through the mouth, skip your brain. Don't add any extra thoughts. Yes. So, you know, you see, you know, one of your, your sons hit your other son. Cause he wants to play with the car, right? You you're really frustrated. You are feeling really frustrated. You hit your brother. You want to turn with the car. And then we can add in our boundary or can do, which is must be something you can do to let them know you want to turn with the car without anybody getting hurt. Mm -hmm. It's so empowering because it gives them, shows them that you trust them, that they can yes. come up with a way to get what they want without anybody getting hurt. So powerful for like a three or four year old, right? <laughs> like, you know? Well, it's, it's amazing, right? And you're acknowledging the frustration rather than punishing the frustration. Yeah. It's not a problem. It's just what he has a want. And yeah. there's just different ways for him to get what he wants that are socially beneficial, that are within the parents' boundaries, yes. right? And we always talk about like with the kids, it has to be them meeting their needs in a way that both the parent and the child like. So with the parent, it's within the parent's boundary. That's how they like that situation. And for the child, they like it because it's actually satisfying for them. It's actually meeting one of their three needs. We break the needs down into three simple needs for growth and language of listening, experience, connection, and power. So take that back to the mom who's having a hard time making life decisions, experiencing her challenge is get in front of the mirror. You talked about looking in the mirror and saying like, I don't know who this person is. Get in front of the mirror and do say what you see for you. Right. And just be like, you know, like, let's say your husband forgets your anniversary. You're so mad right now. You can't believe it. Like, like you're pissed. Yeah. He forgot your anniversary. Like, you know, like, how can he do that to you? Like you just get all that emotion out. Make, you're right to feel that way. Yeah. You are right to feel yeah. the way that you, and you're right about, you know, how you feel. It's not a problem that you feel that way. Then you can uncover what you, yeah. what can he do now? This is the way the situation is. You accept it. This is how the situation, what can he do now to make it up to you? Yeah. And then you can go to him with like, I don't like, I hate it. I hate that this is what happened. This is what I want. I want you to take me out for dinner at this restaurant and I want to go shopping after. And I'm like, you know, like let him know how he can make it up to you and then see if he's okay with that, you know, but then you come with like a very clear way to solve the problem yeah, in a way that feels good to you. Yeah. You know, and then you're coming at it where he doesn't have to be in the defensive. It just, he just knows that you hate it. Of course you do. Sure. And hopefully he can accept that you hate it. Like, oh, of course you hated that. Like, you know, I feel like a total adult right now that I did this. Like, you know, that I forgot. Right. Right. I'm so glad you've come with a solution. I'm down with this. Thank you for helping me out. Let's, let's call that babysitter and get out the door, you know, or whatever. Yeah. Have it. But you become this problem solver yeah. and you take ownership. So I think at the beginning, we talked about being a victim too, like being stuck in the victim paradigm. And that's where you're like, feels like somebody else is preventing you from getting your needs met and you're waiting for them to fix the situation yeah. and then you're stuck I can't meet my needs because this person is 
isn't fixing the situation, well, you could be stuck there for a very, very long time forever. Yeah. Yeah. Because sometimes people are just, they're just okay with their, um, with their situation. For me, my dad had an affair with my high school biology teacher and I was waiting for years (laughs) for him to come back and say, no, you're actually more important than she is. Mm Because that's what I felt. I felt like he chose her over me. And I felt like, you know, this is telling me that I'm a person who can and should be rejected. My own father, you know, ran off with like, while she was my teacher, my goodness, you know, and so that really affected my self-worth and my value, but he was okay with doing that. He was perfectly fine with it. And I could not change his mind, even though I didn't talk to him for many years. And I, you know, I tried all these ways to like, notice me, tell me I'm good enough. So when I was actually able to sit back and go, oh, I meet my own needs in this situation. I hate that he did that. I hate it. And, And that's, it's okay that I hate it. I don't need him to tell me it's okay that I hate it. I make it okay that I hate it. Yeah. Right. And then I can problem solve and figure out what, to, what am I going to do in the midst of somebody else that behaves that way? Yeah. What am I going to do in the midst of that to meet my own needs, to get my own needs met and to know that I'm a person that no, doesn't need to be rejected. Doesn't shouldn't, shouldn't be rejected. Shouldn't expect to be rejected. Cause I carried that with me for probably well over a decade. Well, yeah. <laughs> and I, and I hear in that too, is like acceptance of your dad too. in that, right. Because then it's like saying, you know, it's, it's saying to the other person, I'm going to allow you to be you. And then I can choose once I know me, I can choose then to show up and go, where do I, do I want you in my life? Number one, yep, right? Yep. Like mm-hmm. are they going to fit in my life? Are you, you know, and, and this is where I feel like we get to then choose and, and um, what an amazing lessons that we get to share with our children too. And we start to choose from that level of worthiness yes. of like going, you know what? I, that my values are X, Y, and Z. And this person, I'm not going to tell them to be different. I'm not going to expect them to show up in any different way, but I'm watching their behavior and I'm seeing how they are. And is that okay for me? Does that jive with me and my values? And if it does great. And if it doesn't, that's amazing too, right? Because that brings clarity, but we don't have to shame that person for not aligning with our values. We just don't maybe have them in our life the same way that we would have with somebody that does share our values, you know? So then we, we can decide on that level versus, right how amazing is that it's so empowering yeah and that's what I always wanted like that's one of the values that kept coming up for me over and over again in my training yeah I just I feel so free now there's this freedom right and free to choose and this is why I named my business call my business love the way you parent yeah. because when you're free to choose you're always going to choose what you like and what you love and when you can get connected to your own heart and you're free to choose the way that you respond to your children relate with your children you're always yeah I love that and then we can allow people to be them we can allow ourselves and validate who we are we don't need other people to validate us oh, and from our own sovereign beings which we really all truly desire we just don't know how to get there because I would say most of us we're raised with a power over, especially in our generations, right? Power over, over. you know, versus empowering and and connection and collaboration and cooperation and, and communication. It's just do as I say, but not as I do necessarily though, either. Right. So, (laughs) and, and I've done it. I've done it. Like I get it. The mental pathways are there, right? The mental pathways are there. And so, I mean, what a, what a mind blowing experience for me to, to go from understanding boundaries as controlling and mean, right? Because believing that control is boundaries are controlling and mean meant that I had to turn into a mean and controlling person to hold boundaries with other people. So learning like, Oh wait, boundaries are loving and protective Mm -hmm. and empowering. 
that's the way I can hold my boundaries. Oh, I like that so much better, right? right? Like new mental pathways are required. Oh, I, I love that. One of the videos that I have too, I talk about that. It's like connection over control. And it's that, you know, it's like, are we choosing connection? Or are we choosing control, you know, with our children or even our friends or partner, anybody, right? Do I want connection with this person or control? And, and just that question alone can change the way that we show up, you know? And in, if we're not connecting way. with them, it's because we're not connecting with ourselves. And so that's why we go back. Like Sandy, the founder of Language of Listening, she always says, if the tools aren't working with your kids, step back and use them on yourself. You know, because if you're having a hard time connecting with other people, probably not truly connected with your inner self. And so get there and just honor that, you know, person, reparent, right? Get that connection with yourself that maybe you didn't have in your childhood or that was missing, um, you know, and then and then connecting with other people, especially like you said, when they're connected to your values, when the relationship is, is connected to your values, then you know, it just makes decision-making in life so much easier. It, it does. Really does. Yeah. It just lightens things up. You know, my, my mission in this world is really creating a space where life doesn't have to be battleground but a playground of possibility and that's where we you know self-sabotage is transmuted into self-mastery and the playground for me is it's not like it's not this always blissful place, but if you think of a child on a playground, they get hurt. And what do they do when they get hurt? If nobody's there to, to disrupt their process, they will scream, they'll cry, they'll do whatever it takes to allow that to move through them. Yes. And then they get up and they're like, they either like, I need to go rest now, but they're true to themselves or no, I'm good. I can go play some more. And they go take another chance on the playground. Right. <laughs> and then, and then, so like self-sabotage now, because they're able to express themselves so authentically and then self mastery is really just self-awareness. It's not about being perfect, but it's just about self, you know, self-awareness where we're understanding who we are. We're understanding why we're doing what we're doing. And we're taking a step back, like you're saying, and using these tools, like the tools that you, that you have and, and, and going, Oh wait, how do I connect with myself deeper so that I can connect with my children and really truly have the relationships that I want and desire, but maybe just don't know how to get there. Cause I was never shown this growing up and you know, and then we get, then we watch these videos or movies, right? In Hollywood. And there's just these idealistic, oh my word, you know, like romantic kind of very illusionary things. And so we're waiting for this, especially as women, right? Like as a, a little girl, sometimes like wait, not so much anymore, I don't think, but in the generation that, that I knew I grew up in, you know, the seventies and the eighties, it was waiting for, you know, this prince or, you know, waiting for somebody to come and save you, you know? And it's like, oh no, nobody's coming to save us. The job is always internal. It's never outside. It always starts in here. And then it moves from inside to outside, but it never comes from the outside to inside. And if we're looking at that, we're looking in the wrong spot and we're going to be looking and longing and in pain and in the struggle until we die. And then we'll come back in this lifetime and do it all over again and wonder like, what the heck, you know? <laughs> so. yeah, yeah, I love that. I let you talk about, you know, the possibilities. Oh, that's yeah. 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 What a beautiful mission you have. Yep. Yeah, now it's 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 amazing, and and I love this topic on reparenting. Though, like you're bringing in, and just really, you know, what I hear so much in that the words I hear is just really it's the acknowledgement first, like something's off. The acknowledgement, like something's off within me, you know, and then acceptance of like, oh, this is okay. And then now from that place, and we can truly take inspired and authentic action when yeah. we're, you know, when we acknowledge that we didn't get all of our needs met. And it's not a blame and shame game. It's just acknowledgement, you know, and. It's just the way things are. It's just, can we accept what is rather than, you know, this illusion of what we think it should be. This is what it was. So now how do we move forward from here? That's it. And I'm not the problem. 
right? You, you yourself, you're not, people can't be problem. Right? I love it's that. Just, there's this problem over here and we're going to work. We can work on it. Yeah. We can what was it? it? People, people can't be the problem. So what, what was it? You can't be the problem. Yeah, pe- people can't be problems. They can only have problems. Ah, I love that. So you can't, you can't solve the problem of you because you're not a problem, but we are not a problem, there, right? That's another survival mechanism from childhood. I'm going to blame myself so that I can control my behavior so that I can avoid punishment and feel like I'm going to survive right? Truly a survival mechanism. And it it worked. It worked when we were kids, but it trips us up in our adult life. Oh, it trips us up so bad. And so working towards, yeah, letting that go. And yeah, like you said, like when these things come up and something feels wrong, you know, something feels off, we think, oh, it's me. There's something wrong with me. No, no, no. It's just a message. It's just a message from your heart saying, hey, have a look over here. There's this little problem and we can work together to solve it. You're not the problem, but there's this little problem that, you know, there's going to be a fuller expression of you. You're going to be more connected to your inner greatness and, you know, come to, you know, be who you're meant to be in the world. If we can have a little look at this. Yeah. I love that. Well, thank you so much, Rose, for coming on the show today. This is such a, this is a topic that is just, it so needs, um, you know, discussion around and exposure to, yeah, just so people can come in full acceptance of themselves, you know? And so if, if there is uh, women that are listening that would like to get in touch with you, you know, you do this work with women, how can they, you know, how can they reach you and, and learn more about you and, you know, and all that. Yeah, absolutely. So I have a, a 12 week one-to-one program um, for moms where we, I teach the art of the language of listening tools. So using them with your kids and using them with yourself as well. And we also uncover the survival mechanisms left over from childhood, you know, that are tripping us up. And we start to learn how to use our emotions. We transform them, the overwhelming emotions of motherhood. We transform them into powerful messages mm-hmm. to get your deepest needs met. And so, uh, yeah, you can learn more about my program on my website, afteraces.com. So A-F-T-E-R-A-C-E-S.com. <laughs> Aces, of course, is that acronym, Adverse Childhood Experiences. Yeah. Um, and then if you just click on Love the Way You Parent, that will take you to my program. And the place that I'm most active online is my Facebook group, which is Love the Way You Parent. Make sure you get into the group. My business page is there. I'm not super active on there. I just post every once in a while. My group has got free training in there. I've got training where it's five days to learn the, the model. I've also got a training in there called How the Crap from Your Childhood Shows Up in Your Parenting and What to Do About It. Nice. <laughs> um, but I'm just offering lots of encouragement and, and um, you know, posts in there again, teaching how to use the tools. But if you really want to dive into fast track the tools and, and apply them to your own life, then that one-to-one program would be place. And you can find me on Instagram too. Love a parent with thoughts. and Awesome. Well, we'll put those links and stuff too in the show notes. If you're watching on YouTube, they'll be on the show notes and the same thing if you're listening on the podcast. So, so yeah. So thank you so much again, um, Rose for being here and yeah, go, if you're interested in this topic at all, go check her out. And the, you know, the more resources we have in this, the better equipped we're going to be for little ones in, you know, in, in raising them, whether you're a parent now or not, or any sort of caregiver, I mean, teacher, any, any, anybody yes. that is even a relationship, like you were saying, Rose, like, even if you're wanting like more intimate relationships with friends with, you know, if you want to make peace with your own past, um, this is essential work. This is essential. It's not just for parents, but it's also so powerful for parents as well too. So thank you so much, Rose, for being here. Thanks so much for having great chatting with you yeah you too thank you for joining me on today's show to learn more about activate your life podcast and my youtube channel just go to erinesser.com download the free gift at erinesser.com backslash healthy hyphen boundaries that is all for now we'll see you next week